You're listening to the Together Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. For more information on Together Church, you can visit our website at wearetogether.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. Um, so we're, we're in week three of our series, uh, Welcome to Together Church. And, and again, just to recap everything, this is a recalibration year. You know, every once in a while, your car is supposed to, I didn't know this growing up, um, but it's supposed to have like the tires you know, um, a line, because if not, the car starts pulling off the road. Some of you, if you're like, oh, that's what that pulling is. Uh, yeah, it's not natural. You should take that to uh, your local auto shop and get that fixed. But our cars have to be aligned. Our oils have to be changed. Our fluids have to be topped off. Our gauges have to be checked. So there's all kinds of things that have to be checked. It's no different within the church. We have to do the same thing in the church. We've got to make sure that everything's recalibrated, everything is aligned, and that we're moving in the right direction because there's a lot of times that we think that we're moving in the same direction only to find out that we're not moving in the same direction. And so we started. Uh, we want to start off the year with just kind of re- realigning and getting everybody in the church on the same page of, of where we're heading, uh, what, our, what our whole point is, right? Why are we here? And so we'll start with our, our mission for this year and for our church, but we say that we, we exist to, to love God. What's the other part of that? Love others. There we go. And we make disciples of Jesus where? Everywhere. Everywhere. So we love God, love others, and we make disciples of Jesus everywhere. Now, with that being our mission statement, we have some values that kind of come around that statement. They help you know, flesh this out just a little bit. One of those we talked about in week one, we, we said that we as a church prioritize the gospel above everything. We want to be gospel-centered, gospel-centric. Everything that we do revolves around that. If it doesn't involve the gospel, if it doesn't invo- involve preaching Jesus crucified and resurrected, then we, we don't want to do it. We want to be centralized on the gospel. That is where we live and we breathe. We get our life from that of the gospel. Then last week we said that our value number two is that we make disciples not just converts it's about being a student it's about learning it's about posturing yourself before the teacher Jesus spending time with him being accountable scripture memorization being a person of prayer that these are the marks of a disciple and what we want our church to be are disciples not just people that come and get educated and learn a couple of things and then leave smarter than they did when they came in. What we want you to do is take that knowledge and that wisdom from the scriptures and we want you to go out of this room and we want you to live those things. So we're not just in the business of raising converts. We're, we're never going to pat ourselves on the back with how many people are in this room. That's not the question of heaven is what was the attendance. The question of heaven is did you make disciples and did they make disciples? That's what heaven's going to celebrate. So value number two is we make disciples, not just converts. And today, value number three, and it's this. We send every member. Every member. We send them. Well, where do we send them to? Well, it depends. Depends on where God leads you. But we send our people. There's a, a, a word that has been in the scriptures, but over the last few years, it's become a buzzword in the church but it's this word calling, and you'll hear people, people say, well, I'm not, I'm not called to that. I'm not called to serve. Um, we're going to debunk that one today. But the, the people will abuse it. I don't feel called to that, or I do feel called to that. Can I just tell you that if you have a relationship with Jesus, you are called. 
It's not something just for the super spiritual. It's not something just for the special people who, who've been around a little bit longer, can quote a couple of scriptures or have a couple of awards for perfect attendance in Sunday school. If you have professed Christ and you are a Jesus follower, you have been called to the greater mission. And when we prioritize the gospel and we're gospel-centric and we're learning and we're being changed and transformed into the, into the, the, the character of Jesus, then that moves us into being disciples and learning. And then the disciple-making process pushes us into this thing to go, hey, we're called. We've been sent. We we are on a mission. We're on a mission. And our mission is to share this story with other people. So so you and I, it doesn't matter how long you've been here. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 80 years. It doesn't matter if you you have your quiet time in Hebrew. You are called, period. All right, so what are you? Let's say that with confidence. You are called. And that may scare some of you because you know, why would he trust me with this? Because he believes in you. Because you're his. Well, I'm going to mess this thing up. It's okay. Remember, when he chose the early disciples, they were not the C team. They were the A team. Do you know who the B team was? There wasn't one. Because he put everything he had and empowered them to do the work of the ministry. So we are called. It's not, about, uh, it's not about the experience of a few. It's wherever we are, we are called. The call to leverage your life to follow Jesus, that includes a call to follow him no matter where he says for us to go. The question is no longer, am I called? The question now is when and how. Where does he want me? When does he want me? How does he want me? I'm willing to do whatever I need to do to fulfill the calling that Jesus has placed on my life. And that is the calling of the gospel. That's the calling of discipleship. See, Jesus, his plan for reaching the world is not just gathering large groups of people to bask in and and, and to to enjoy each other. The, the, The whole reaching the world piece, Jesus does that by raising up ordinary people in the power of the Spirit and sending them out. Raising up ordinary people you think about every person that's in the Scripture. Every one of them had a flaw. Did they not? Moses had a flaw. Even He tried to use it, said he had a speech impediment. He was a murderer. He killed a guy. Paul had a lot of issues. Peter, major issues. But God raised them up to use them to, to preach the gospel. To proclaim. You and I are here today because of what those guys did. Rahab, Esther. Think about it. God raises them up. The plan for, for world change was not large groups. It, it, was, it was raising up ordinary people. If you'll watch Jesus' ministry and his Galilean ministry through the Gospels, start in Matthew, move your way through, what you're going to see is in the very beginning, Jesus does a lot of miracles. He attracts a bunch of people. A lot of people are coming for the miracles. And as his ministry kind of moves into a couple of years, Jesus still does miracles, he just doesn't do as many miracles, and he, he kind of slows back and he starts teaching them in parables. Well, the group gets a little bit smaller. Now, why did it get a little bit smaller? Because it weeded some of the people out that only wanted to be there to get the benefit of being there, but not really ingrained and take on what Jesus was calling them to. When we get to the end of his life, 
we find Jesus spending way less time with the masses of people, and now he's spending time with a few, training them, teaching them how to take over what this is going to look like to get this gospel message from this small group of people throughout the world to where we would have it today. And you and I have been called to continue that gospel, to empower the next generation so it's here for them as well. But we have to steward the gospel. So this morning I want to tell you the story of an ordinary guy in the book of Acts who literally changed the whole world. And when we look at him, you're going to see that he was ordinary. There was nothing special about him. But he was empowered. There's a few things about his life, a few convictions about his life that we can look at and go, okay, I can resonate with this guy. It's not some super spiritual. I, I, can, I can resonate with him and understand what I've been called to do. And so he literally changes the world, and he shows us a couple of his convictions on what it took. But his name is Stephen. You guys have heard of Stephen. Stephen's a pretty cool guy. He's a neat guy. Um, dies of a massive headache. But the context is Stephen here. He's, Stephen's not an apostle. Okay? That's important. Not an apostle. He's an ordinary guy. He gets picked to basically make sure the food's getting to where it needs to be. He's, he's a glorified food delivery guy. Okay? Mills on wheels, so to speak, in Jerusalem. His job was to make sure that the poor and the widows were getting food. So, so Stephen has been chosen by the apostles, not an apostle, but by the apostles, to take out this food, to, to make sure the food's been given. Now, up to this point in the book of Acts, the gospel has not left Jerusalem. It, the, this gospel story is still in the confines of this wall of Jerusalem. But Jesus had told them that there's going to come a time that when the Holy Spirit comes, this gospel is going to leave Jerusalem, and it's going to scatter throughout all the world. And so they're waiting on that moment. They, they don't know what that moment's going to look like, but they've been waiting on it. Well, then they find out in Acts when the Holy Spirit comes down and gives us some empowerment in Acts chapter 1-8. And they get this empowerment from the Spirit, and the gospel begins to transcend outside of the gates of Jerusalem and all over the known world of that time. So by Acts chapter 6, they've already witnessed over 3,000 baptisms. They witnessed numerous miracles that were taking place. And the bottom line was Acts chapter 6, the apostles are still meeting in small groups in Jerusalem and they're still seeing all these massive movements of God, of people's lives being changed. Jerusalem would have been one of the hardest places to convert someone to Christianity because of the Judaism. They were so steeped in the, Jew, the Jewish traditions, in, in the purification rituals and the sacrifices. They, they would have been ingrained in them. But yet... When the gospel is preached with such simplicity and with such care, it can do amazing things. It can break the hardest of hearts. It can break down barriers and it can break down um, traditions. It, it, it has a power to do whatever it wants because the Bible says that God's word never returns void when it's preached. You agree with that? Never returns void. And so here we are in Acts chapter 6. And all this stuff changes with Stephen. The gospel is going to leave Jerusalem, and it's going to pinpoint off this guy who's an ordinary guy, not a, not a disciple, not an apostle. Stephen gets elected. Again, he's delivering food to these widows. Um, his job was not that important. If you, if you kind of look at the grand scheme of things, it wasn't that important of a job. He's not an elected teacher. He hasn't written any books. He's not teaching at conferences. He was not considered to be a theologian of the early church. He's just a table waiter. 
And that's all a servant is, is a waiter. How can I help you? Looking. You know what makes a good waiter and waitress get really good tips? Is when they just come and they don't even have to ask. They just know. They're watching. How can I serve the people sitting at this table? They need a refill. They need a fork. They need ketchup. You know what I'm saying? They bring the food for the kids out before everything else so you don't have to wait. Can I get an amen? Yeah, y'all know what I'm talking about. And he is a, he's a waiter. Acts chapter 6 verse 7 tells us this about Stephen. That Stephen does his job well. He, he, was, he did it so well and it tells us he was so full of the Spirit because he's just serving tables and he did it so well that he was so full of the Holy Spirit that people came to know Christ. He wasn't preaching the gospel. He wasn't standing behind a podium. He was simply living life with people and proclaiming his story of what God had done in his life. And so people start to come to Christ. And here's the interesting thing about that with Stephen, that we have evidence that when, when all these people's lives were being changed through his acts of service, he was converting the Jewish priest to Christianity. And you talk about being ingrained. These priests had spent years studying to be Jewish priests. And in a moment, they, they met Jesus and they turned and left their legalism and went right into this relationship with Jesus. Now, I want you to think about it. So let, let's, I'm going I'm to feel like, and you're going to feel like I am keep saying the same things over and over because I am because you need to hear the same things over and over so we can have confidence in this. An ordinary man, full of the Spirit, Nothing extraordinary, simply waiting tables, making sure people are taken care of, telling his story, and many are coming to know Christ. No theologian, no books, no conferences, no commentaries in his library. Just a man with the spirit and the word of his testimony. So this gets the attention of the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish law, right? And they, they attempt to discredit him. Because they see people, because you think about it, the Jewish priest, their church attendance in the synagogue, it's decreasing. They don't like that. So they try to discredit Stephen. And so they decide they need to bring this trial. And that brings us to Acts chapter 6, verse 10. And it says this, that none of them, now it's talking about Stephen's reputation, his character. You ready for this? None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. They tried to discredit him. They tried to say things about him. They, they tried to throw his character in the mud. But look what the scripture says. That none of them could withstand against the spirit, the wisdom, and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. And the spirit with which he spoke was that of the Holy Spirit. People may just try to discredit what you're doing when you're trying to do ministry. And you're trying to do the things that God has called you to do. Let me just tell you right now that if you do it the way that you're supposed to, and you do it with that of the Spirit, and you speak with wisdom that only comes from heaven, they can't discredit that. Because his word never, ever returns void. So they, they want to discredit Stephen. They want to turn Stephen because he's just an ordinary guy. So let's just try to ruin the reputation. But they can't because of what the Holy Spirit was doing through Stephen. Isn't that amazing? Because when he tells you to say something, he's not leaving you out to dry. He is on the other side of what you say as well. That's the beauty of God being here yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Because what I say today that he tells me to, he's going to water it and take care of me into tomorrow of what he has called us to preach, what he's called us to say, and who we've been called to share the gospel with. So they couldn't speak against him. So in Acts chapter 7, 
they decide just to drag him in before the Jewish council. And he comes in before the Jewish council. He proceeds to give them the longest recorded sermon in the Bible. He's, he's at this point, like, I feel like he was called to preach, but he's been holding it in. And now's the moment that he's just going to extend this thing. And I'm just going to preach the longest sermon that I can. And he does. And the whole basic point of his sermon was this, that you Jews, you killed all of the prophets. And these are the prophets that they called prophets. That they, it was their father, Abraham. It was Elijah. They, all these people that they held on a pedestal. And Stephen looks them right in the face and said, it was you that killed all those people. That's why they're not here, except for Elijah, because you know he went on a chariot up to heaven. And he says, you killed them, and, and, and this is why you killed Jesus. That's pretty bold, isn't it? I would love to know the full context of that sermon, but the, the, the bottom of that just simply is this behavior and what you're doing is the reason we don't have our prophets anymore because you killed them with your religion. You tried to discredit what God was doing, and then you go and kill Jesus, and you saw how that worked for you because you, you thought you won for three days, and on the third day you realized you had really lost the battle. And so here we are setting it up at the end of Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 54 and he says this that um, there's a couple of words that he says before this he calls them stubborn he calls them heathen he calls them death to the truth um, he tells them that they're resisting the Holy Spirit and then we get into 54 and he says the Jewish leaders they were infuriated by Stephen's accusations they're infuriated because the accusations are what you, you killed our prophets and you killed Jesus that's what you did and they shook their fist at him in rage. But Stephen, say this with me, but Stephen being what? That's important. Don't leave that part out. Because you can go serve people and not have Jesus and it not be Christian at all. It, that, that's just self-help. Stephen is walking in the confidence and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And so he says that he is full of the Holy Spirit. He gazed steadily into the heaven. He's making these accusations. He's preaching the sermon. They're coming back at him. And guess where his eyes are locked and focused? Upwards. Upwards. And he says that he he's, he's saw the glory of God and he saw Jesus. What's this word? Jesus was doing what? Standing. We're going to come back to that here in just a minute. That Jesus was standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Now, here's the key. Every time we read the scriptures, Jesus is always seated at the right hand of God. If you remember, there's a point the disciples had come down off Mount Tabor after they had witnessed the transfiguration. They were arguing about who was going to sit on Jesus' other side. Anytime you see the word right as a place of authority and a place of power, authority and power, uh, the name Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, it means son of the right hand. I used to think that's really weird that that, okay, whatever. Y'all think that's awesome. It's just son of the right hand. Until I learned that the right hand in this culture was that of power and authority. And what he's saying was that he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor, in the place of authority at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and they begin shouting. I was just thinking of a bunch of kids. Like when you're telling them they can't do something. No, no, no. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Okay, you'll witness that. Um, and, he, and he says that then they put their hands over their ears. They began shouting. They rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city because if they would have killed him in the city, it would have been unclean. So they're still sticking to their religious traditions. And they drag him out of the city and they begin to stone him. 
His accusers took off their coats. They laid him at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned him. And Stephen prayed. Now, I'm thinking, if they're throwing rocks at me, I don't know that it's necessarily prayers that I'm doing right now. You know what I mean? Maybe you're more spiritual than I am, but that's not what I'm doing. I'm probably saying things or covering, trying to do something. And it says, as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with the sin. And with that, Stephen died. In chapter 8 and verse 1, it goes on to say that Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely. He agreed. He's in agreement with it. He agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. And a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all of the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. There were some devout men that came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church, and he went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them in prison. But the believers who were scattered, well, they preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Wherever they went. This is the first time in the gospel that the gospel leaves, or in, in the New Testament, that the gospel leaves Jerusalem. And it didn't leave because they had some hyped-up conference and they were all excited to go and fight hell with a water pistol. The thing that got the gospel out of Jerusalem was the very thing that Jesus had told them was going to happen. Imagine that. Persecution hits, and they scatter. It was like kicking an anthill, that they just scattered. But the thing was, when they scattered, they didn't stay quiet. You know what the number one thing was? that When you look over church growth over every century, the thing that continues to fuel the church and grow it, grow it was always persecution. It weeds out those who are just here. And it makes you have to ask the question, do I really believe this? Stephen's in a position to ask himself, do I really believe this? Because I'm fixing to go in here and say something to some people who are, who are the Jewish law, and they can put me to death. And he goes and he speaks with boldness on that of the Spirit. And now here he is being drug out of the city for preaching and accusing them of something that was true. Was he lying in what he said to the people? Didn't the Jewish people kill the prophets? Didn't they try to discredit many of the prophets? Didn't they crucify Jesus just a few days ago with the help of the Romans? Absolutely. He didn't say anything that was wrong. But here he is. But the gospel has now moved outside of Jerusalem. This is fulfillment of Acts chapter 1-8, where it says not a single apostle is involved in this, by the way. You notice that. The thing that triggers the gospel being pushed outside of Jerusalem through all the unknown world at this time was not an apostle. An apostle wasn't even indirectly in the middle of this. The thing that drove it was Stephen's obedience even to the point of death that triggered Saul to go and continue this persecution throughout. And the church grew because of an ordinary table server, because of his act. It didn't end well for him. If you would have asked Stephen, what do you want this to look like? I don't think you would have said, I would love to be stoned to death. That was not his thing. But Stephen's prayer was not, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do, as long as it doesn't involve this, 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 and this. It was, I will do whatever you want me to do. I will preach the gospel with boldness, and I will accept whatever consequence comes from that, because I'll trust you that you know better than I do. Your ways are indeed higher than my ways. So Stephen's service provokes this trial. His testimony provokes the riot 
And then those left preaching the word were not the apostles. It was not the apostles. It was everyday, ordinary people who had been filled with the Spirit. Now, Stephen's story shows us how the gospel expands globally. It expands globally. They didn't have much. You have to understand this. And this is where you've got to get it. And I really, truly want you to get it because I've had to try to get this. They only had two things to advance the gospel. They had the Holy Spirit and they had the word of their testimony of what he had done in their lives. That's it. That was the only thing they have. And yet, we will make excuses for not sharing the gospel because we don't know enough of the Bible. We don't, we're not sure how we should be praying or how we pray. You have the second greatest story ever told. And that's the story of what Jesus has done in your life. And I can't argue that. You know what a broken, hurt world needs? They need to know there's some hope. You know where I find hope? In what Jesus is doing in your life right now. That's where I find hope. Well, I don't know what to say. Well, that's the beauty of when he says that the Holy Spirit will give you the words to speak when it's time to speak. You will find yourselves in conversations sometimes where the Holy Spirit just drops words and you'll say something like, where in the world did that come from? It was the Holy Spirit. He'll give you the words to speak. He'll give you the cues on when to say it. You, you have two of the most powerful. You don't need anything else. You, you don't need a 30-day devotional. You don't need a 21-day of prayer. Those things are great. You should do those things. But if all you had, and we stripped everything down to our testimony of what Jesus has done in our lives and the Holy Spirit, we could literally change the world. And I'll tell you that because we are standing here today because that's what they use to change the world. That's all we need. That's it. And by the way, the testimony piece is just the extra piece because all we really need is the Holy Spirit. But the testimony is just the extra little sweet piece in there to remind us what God has done for us and what he can do for everybody else. So the key verse here in, in all of Acts is going to be Acts chapter 1-8. It says that you will receive, and this word is, is a pretty important word. He says, but you will receive what? Power. You will receive power. you got to buy that. That would be like driving a sports car and going 45 because you don't realize what's underneath the hood of the sports car. You know what I mean? Like you can't drive a sports car 45 down 52. You should do everything legally, by the way. But you know what I mean? It's like you don't, you don't fully harness the power that's under that engine. I believe the church has not fully harnessed the power that, is, that has been given to it that's under the hood. Because we have a power of the Holy Spirit that can, can help us take this gospel message and spread it. It can help us reach new people. And that's all we need is to understand what it is. And this, this Acts chapter 1-8, it gives the entire outline of the book of Acts when he says, if you will understand this, because nothing in the book happens without the power of the Spirit. Nothing. Nothing. And a lot of people would say, well, I read the book of Acts and I see that all that stuff happened, but that stuff doesn't happen today. Yes, it does. But you've got to have spirit eyes to see it, and you've got to believe that that power, listen, is not around you. That power, the Bible says, is in you. He says the same power that resurrected Jesus from the grave is the same power that lives in you and me. The Greek word dunamis is the word for power. It means dynamite. It means an explosive change. Because anywhere that power is, 
The state of whatever around it never goes back to its, its current state. It changes the state of what it is. Think about taking a firework and putting it in a mailbox. Lots of illegal things being talked about today. If I put a firework in a mailbox and I light it and it blows, is that mailbox the same that it was before I lit that firework? It had a complete state change. Now it's a piece of uh, scrap metal with shards everywhere. That's what he's saying. When we have this power within us, we are not the same. There is a state change that has happened. Everything, everything has been rattled. Everything within us has been dismantled. And he puts it back together under the guidance. Because when the Holy Spirit comes in, there's conviction that happens. There's enlightenment that happens. There's a lot of stuff that's taking place that he's leading and guiding and he's our counselor. And he's doing this change that's within us. And if we don't get that, we can't do anything else. Because you you, you got to have the gospel, but you've got to have the Holy Spirit to help you understand that gospel. That is the gift. Jesus actually said, it's better for me to leave, he's telling the disciples this, so that I can send you one that's going to give you an advantage. He was telling them that this is going to be a good thing that the Holy Spirit will come to you because he's going to be an advantage to you that I go away. So we have to understand this power. The whole book of Acts is set around that word of power, and we see ordinary people Experience, just experiencing extraordinary things through the work of the Spirit and the faithfulness of His people all the way across the board. So, the church should look like an organism that's alive and moving and not dead. It's not a cruise ship, it's not a country club, it is a mission. It is a spiritual warfare that we fight against the enemy every day to take over our families, to take over our communities, to take over our schools. And we've already been given the weapons to defeat that. He even says that in Revelation. It's the blood of Jesus and the word of our testimony that overcomes the enemy. If we preached that all day, we'd be good. I think that's why John preached the same sermon over and over again. John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. A lot of people got changed. Problem is, if I preached that every Sunday, it would stop coming. Um, but Stephen is a picture of what the ordinary Christians in the church should look like and what would happen in the world when you embrace the power. So here's a picture of every church member showing you every member, not just the supernatural ones, every member that if you've been a follower of Jesus for just one second, then you have not only been called, but you've also been sent. You've been sent. So let me give you these four convictions real quick. These are four convictions of people who would transform, transform the world. And here's your first conviction. You've got to understand that God wants to use me. He wants to. How does that make you feel? He wants to use you. He's not picking the team, and you don't have to worry about getting left out and not getting chosen on the team. He's not waiting to pick you last. God wants you. God wants to empower you. God wants to put his spirit upon your life. He wants to use you. In Acts chapter 11, there's some brothers who move to Antioch. And they get to Antioch and they're there. And the hand of the Lord was with them is what Acts chapter 11 tells us. And they planted a church. They planted a church. They were not apostles. They were not disciples. They were ordinary men with the word of a testimony and the Holy Spirit. And they started a church in Antioch. 
And when Paul starts his missionary journeys, you know what the head church is that would send out? Send them out on their missionary journeys and they would keep coming back to and it was their biggest supporter? It's the church of Antioch. Because people were being obedient to that of the Spirit. They weren't let things that they didn't have disqualify them from what they were supposed to do. I would say it this way, that whatever God made you good at, you need to do it well for the glory of God and do it somewhere strategically for the glory of God. Understand that he wants to use you. You've been gifted, you've been wired. We always hear that, and, it's, and it always leads to, oh, well, you need to come serve in this ministry and serve in that ministry. No, what I'm telling you is you need to serve. Because you're only as deep spiritually as the last person you served. Because you're not, you're not living out the gospel. People aren't being served inside the church and outside the church. You can know all this knowledge, and you can fluff yourself up. That's exactly what the Pharisees did that they knew everything, but they didn't cater to the people. They didn't serve the people. And you've got to be willing to serve the people and understand that God wants to use you. Here's the second conviction. You've got to know this, that the Holy Spirit fills me. Because if you don't know the Holy Spirit fills you, you won't have any confidence going in these conversations. Zero. You also won't have any guidance. And this is why I think a lot of our evangelism conversations go haywire. Because we go in with, a, with this is what we're going to say, and we plan it out. And I'm not knocking this stuff. I'm just saying it hasn't worked. But we, we, we learned this whole Romans road. I remember in youth ministry, they gave us this, this cube. Evan, I think they called it an evangel cube. And you would just turn it and tell the story of Jesus. And they, they gave you this whole script. But nowhere in there was room for the Holy Spirit to be able to speak. So what I was doing was making a convert. i got to get up from this table and hope that they pray and ask Jesus in their lives. And if they do, it's going to be because they want me to be quiet. They don't want to hear me talk anymore because they're sick and talk about the Vanja Cube and my testaments that I gave them. Y'all remember those things? Those things were delicious. Um, they were little mints with Bible verses on them. They were testaments. Y'all get it now? Um, I'm going to get y'all some so y'all can cheer up. <laughs> testaments. But see, if I understood that the Holy Spirit filled me, I can just be normal and have these conversations normally and not have to be weirded out by it. And weird other people out by it. I don't have to go stand on the, the street corner yelling at 14,000 people that drive by and tell them they're going to hell. What I need to do is Jesus has called me to go serve those people by having conversations. What would it look like if we were more intentional? And we started inviting people, not just to church and not just to your small group. What if you started inviting people out to coffee, have, inviting people over to your house, just spending time with them, getting to know them, building relationships with them? Letting the Jesus in you be introduced to the person that they are so that he can come and live into their lives. I mean, the, the most common characteristic that you're going to read about Stephen is this, that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. It says that multiple times. He's not doing this on his own. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. One of the most important things that you can do is you need to research and study the Holy Spirit. You can go back on our website. We have sermons on the Holy Spirit. Because you, you, if, you, if you don't get it... You, is you don't have the power. You got a you got a pinto. You got a Ford Pinto that's barely moving. And you, you miss all the power. So we would say that the thing that gives these ordinary people this extraordinary confidence would be the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit within them. And all believers have that. That is something that we get. It's not something you earn the moment that you say, Jesus, take this life. I, I want you to rescue me. I want you to save me. You get the Holy Spirit. Well, I don't speak in tongues. Okay. You, you may not right now. You may, you may not ever. I don't know. But what I can tell you is those things are non-essential. The thing is you've got to understand first before you get to those things that the Holy Spirit dwells within you. Because those things will never happen if you don't understand that He dwells within you. Ever. 
So Jesus wants us to know that there's a spirit that lives in us. And because the Holy Spirit is in us, it's more about our availability than it is our ability. It's more about our availability and our ability. I, would, I remember God telling me things in life, and I would give him every excuse on why I couldn't do those things. But he was never asking me to impress him. He was never asking me what my calendar looked like. What he was asking me is, Robbie, are you available? Well, I'm not good at that. I didn't ask you that question. Are you available? And I think he's asking you the same question. Don't worry about your ability. I'm asking you about your availability. Because you have the Holy Spirit and the abilities there. I'm asking you about that. Here's the third thing. As Jesus was to me, so I will be to others. That has to be a conviction. Because in, in verse 59, this insight that we get from Stephen, he's thinking about a moment of his death. He's dying. He's been, rocks are being thrown at him. People are yelling at him, calling him things. And rocks are coming right at his head. And in that moment, Stephen realizes this is more about me being like Jesus. And he utters this, the words, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Sounds a lot like the words that Jesus said on the cross, doesn't it? Even in his moment of death, he was thinking of the death of Christ. Jesus was on his mind. When Stephen was dying, he was thinking about Jesus on the cross. In his dying moments, he's attempting to do for others what Jesus had done for them. God, please forgive them. Please forgive them. Because what it means to follow Jesus is to look at your life as a sacrifice for others, like Jesus sacrificed himself for us. Where, where would you be without Jesus? Think, think about it. Where would you be? And if it's like nothing really changed, then that, that's something we need to talk about. But where would you be? Because hearing, hearing the message of the gospel is an essential part of salvation. Faith comes by hearing. And I know the old saying is like, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. No, use words. Use words. My life doesn't, oftentimes doesn't look like Jesus. And honestly, it looks more like somebody who needs Jesus than it does Jesus. Is anybody with me on that? I'm the only one. And he says, we got to preach the gospel. And this would demand something of us. He's already equipped us. Now it demands something. The gospel demands something from us. And it's surrender. And have we, have we ever wrestled with that obligation that, that God has called us to preach the gospel to certain people? The 2.8 billion people in the world who do not have access to the gospel. There are people in our own community that have never picked a Bible. They've never opened it. They wouldn't know what it was if it hit them. They wouldn't know. So how will they know? It's going to be from his people. It's going to be from you and from me. Let me give you this last conviction. Jesus is worth it. That's your motivation. Jesus is worth it. In Acts chapter 7, when we get to verse 56, and he said, Behold, I, I see the heavens open. I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Uh, scholars are, are, um, are really taken by this because every time we read that Jesus is beside 
God, he's always sitting on the throne. But in this moment when Stephen is being stoned and he looks into the heavens, Jesus is not seated. Jesus is standing to welcome home his son. Well done, my good and faithful servant. He's, he's, Jesus is standing to receive him home. The world's called Stephen a traitor. It's, it's ripped him. It's, it's murdered him. But it's almost as if Jesus can't contain himself because he is standing, welcoming home the obedience of this ordinary table waiter. Now, what does this mean for us when we close this morning? Here's, here's what it means for you. you, you got to understand that you've been called your carrier of the gospel. And you have been equipped with the Holy Spirit. And so when we say we send every member, we send every member out of here to be a carrier of the gospel. Some of you need to go on a mission trip. And that mission trip might be to your next door neighbor. You might need to walk across the street. That mission trip might be to Walmart. That's almost like an international trip. It's a foreign trip. because There's a lot of weird stuff happening in Walmart, but people need Jesus. Some of you need to get on a plane and you go on a mission trip. You go serve overseas. You need to go serve domestically, statewide. You, you, you need to get outside and, and be intentional about the gospel message. We, we have an opportunity here um, for you to, if you want an international, we have an international trip coming up in July. We'd love for you to be a part of that. We'd love for you just to ask questions of how can I be a part of that. So after our service today, uh, Mr. Ken Ferding is going to be over at our welcome desk. He's going to be able to answer any questions you have on how you can be involved in our Jamaica mission trip. We're not going over there for vacation. Uh, we're not going over there to participate in the winter bobsled team. We're going over there to preach the gospel and help empower the churches so they can do the work of the ministry that God's asked them to do. We'd love for you to, to, to do that and get some information from him. And then Thursday, we're going to have a meeting. We're going to go eat authentic Jamaican food. And we're going to have this conversation about what it, what it looks like now. You can be a part of that. But today I'm going to ask you this question when we, as we get ready to sing. You know you're called. Now what, I, what you got to work out with the Holy Spirit is where and how. Where and how. Father, thank you for the day. We're all sent. And I just pray that in these moments, we got to wrestle with this. We have an obligation. The gospel is calling us. And so I just pray that today we would, we would seek out what our where and our how is. That your spirit would lead us in that direction. And I thank you for what you're going to do here today. For the movement that's going to happen. That we, we are intentional. We are on mission. We're, we're here for, for the lost. And we pray these things in your name. You have been
just uh, remind you about a couple of things as you go out. If you're interested in that trip, please, please just ask a question. Like even if you say, I can't go, how can I help somebody go? What can I donate to the trip? Those, those are being a part of, of doing it. So when we do trips, it's a wraparound uh, trip. Also, um, baptism, if you're ready to take that step, welcome desk and um, potluck next weekend, chili. If you, if you make spicy chili, could you do people like me a favor? Could you please note that it's spicy? Okay? Because if not, it's not going to be a good day. Because I'll be speaking in different languages too. Because I don't do, I, mild sauce at Taco Bell is too spicy. Anybody else? All right, I'm not a man. That's what it is. Okay, I'm good. I'm good with that. Um, hey, I want you to know we're loving, we love you, and uh, we're praying for you, especially the requests that you guys gave us last weekend. We're still praying for those. Um, but I want you to walk out of here today in confidence that you have been called. It doesn't matter what people say about you. It doesn't matter. People don't get to dictate that. It's about what Jesus has said to you and what he's called you, and you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. So you walk out of here in confidence knowing that we're, God has called you to change the world. We can be the change and literally watch the news change because of what we do. Anybody good with that? I'd like to see something else on the news, to be honest with you. Um, but let me pray for you as we get ready to leave here. God, I thank you so much for, the, for our church. I thank you for each person here. I pray today that they would walk out with confidence. They would walk out in the power of your Holy Spirit. And the stories that we will hear this week of the life change that's taking place in the gospel story that's been shared with people we would hear those things that they would echo through our, our our town through our streets and so we thank you for every person here and i pray for blessings on their life and god just lead us guide us use us this week we pray these things in the powerful name of jesus amen thank you guys for being here we'll see you next weekend